0: Father, this morning we come to you and we sit at your feet as your children. Speak to us as our father. A father who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. A father who sent his own son, his only begotten son, to redeem us. With his own life, with his own blood, so that we could be with you forever. The Father who sent his only son that through his life, the works of the devil could be destroyed in our lives. Help us to hear, Lord. Let every blind fall fall. Let every obstacle be removed. Let every misunderstanding and misconception be brought down so that we truly will hear and believe. For you said, all things are possible for them that believe it. Help us to believe, Lord. That's where it all begins, to believe when you speak to us. Come at this time and ourselves into thy hands. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Again, prayer request coming. Okay. Sami, they want the volume up. This is from abroad, okay? Sure? Okay. Not ours, theirs. Okay, fine. The internet. Kind of continuation of yesterday's, but also not. We'll turn to Luke chapter 21 and verses 7 to 9. So they asked him, saying, teacher, when will these things be? What sign will be there when these things are about to take place? Okay, now we don't say teacher, but we have the same question. Father, Lord, God. When is this going to end? When are you coming? When are you coming? And what are the signs? And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go, Am I on the same page? Yeah. Okay. The first thing he says is What? Do not be deceived. First thing he says, do not be deceived. Second thing he says is, do not fear, okay? Second thing, do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. They go together, okay? If you're not deceived, you will not be afraid. You will not be ashamed. You know, after Adam and Eve were deceived, the first reaction was, we are afraid. I was afraid and ashamed, okay? God came to set us free from all these things. But how does it all begin? How does it all begin? How does it all begin? It begins with deception. Don't sit here sanctimonious thinking we are not deceived. We are all deceived. At one level or another, there are still parts of our mind which is not fully captivated by the government of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why we are afraid. That's why afraid. Okay, we look two Sundays back. The antidote to fear is peace. Okay, is anybody here in absolute peace? No. That means there is fear. There is fear. Okay, antidote to is peace. Peace with God. Peace to rule our hearts. Peace to guard our hearts and our minds. And peace as our witness. It's peace. Okay. But deception is the key how the enemy gets it. If he can't deceive you, he cannot get you. The antidote to deception is truth. The antidote to fear is peace. So when Jesus walks in, on his disciples who have gathered in a closed room because of the fear of the Jews, his first words to them is peace. Peace. Okay? It is the deception is the most... Powerful weapon in the devil's armory. If you can withstand deception, you will definitely be an overcomer. Cause you beat deception, he can't do anything to you. He cannot do anything to you. That is his major. Everything else is the result of deception. So when they ask, Lord, what is the sign of, your, what is When will you come and what are the signs? The first thing he says, you know what? Don't get deceived. Don't get deceived. Don't get deceived. Meaning, deception will be rampant just before he comes. Before he comes. Look at Revelation chapter 12, 9. And Revelation 19, 7 to 10. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil. Three names suddenly given. (laughs) The serpent, the great dragon, the devil. And Satan, fourth name. Four names. Who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world. That's his weapon. That's how he started. Right? In the garden of Eden. He deceived them. And once he deceives us, okay. like I keep, we heard it a thousand times, but it doesn't matter if it's one thousand and one time, it's still true. He who has your mind, has you. So he's trying to get into our minds. He's trying to get into our minds. To control our thinking. Because if we can control our thinking, then He controls us. Now there may be parts of our mind. Our mind is like the promised land. When they went in and God said, little by little you should overcome. And then what happens? The Lordship of Christ is established. So when we got saved, one lie was broken. One lie was broken. And we got saved. Okay? The two lies that needs to be broken when you get saved is one. We looked at the Q&A yesterday, we said, one lie is this, my sins will take me to hell. The other lie that has to be broken is, my good works will take me to heaven. Both lies have to be broken. And we put our trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone, and we are saved. Okay, The sinner thinks he's going to hell, the righteous thinks he's going to heaven. Both are lies, if you believe in Jesus. Both are lies. The sinner will go to hell. Why? Because he does not believe in the work of God in Christ. The righteous will go to hell because he also does not believe in the work of... So that lie is broken and we believe salvation has just begun. And if we keep on going to Jesus Christ, the Bible says he is able to save us to the uttermost. Like I was telling the pastors yesterday, if we are able to take a spiritual x-ray of our brain we would see white and dark patches. The white is liberated areas, the dark patch is still under captivity of the enemy. So we will not compare each other's brain pictures, no brain mapping here, but some will be more, more light and some will be more darkness. Okay? Power of deception. Enormous power of deception. Okay. Revelation 19, verse 7 to 10 is the most Stunning verses in the Bible about deception. The Most stunning verses. Oh, it is not 19, it is 20. 20. 19 is the wedding. 20 is war. Now when thousand years have expired, what are these thousand years? I didn't mean after the wedding starts the war, okay? It is two different things. Some of the ladies were smiling, wedding and war. We are talking about the wedding of the lamb and then he comes with the bride to fight the devil, okay? Okay, so when the thousand years have expired, what are these thousand years? When Jesus is ruling planet earth with the saints, thousand years. I mean, this is utopia, which is real. Absolute paradise on earth. Satan is locked. Satan is locked up. Don't give him too much bhav, as we say in India. Okay, don't. He's not what you think he is. You know, when Satan has to be locked up, the Bible says God just called an angel, not archangel Michael. Just call one, lock him up. Which one, Lord? A new trainee just sent him. He is not big. We make him big in our heads. He is not big. Okay. He cannot withstand truth. Okay. He cannot withstand truth because he is a lie and is the father of liars. So he cannot withstand truth. Okay, What happens? He will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. He will still deceive the people who have lived under the visible, physical reign of Jesus Christ. For a thousand years. Experienced all the goodness of God. And he will still deceive them. And what do they do? Gather them together to battle. Whose number is as the sand of the earth. Because most of the people. Will go against God. Against God. And the Bible says. They went up to the breadth of the earth. Surrounded the camp of the saints. And the beloved city. That is the uh, city of Jerusalem on earth. And what does God do? He destroy, destroys them. Okay, fire comes. So the whole idea is to understand the power of deception. So don't take it lightly. This is our major struggle. Struggle. That's why we all struggle with the word of God. Because the word of God is the truth. And there is a force that is opposing you in your minds to listening to the word of God. Receiving the word of God. Studying the word of God. Meditating upon the word of God. There is enormous resistance outside and inside. And we need to acknowledge that and fight it with God's grace, and ask God, ask God, Lord, help me, Lord, help me to listen, help me to understand, help me to fight, because my freedom, my liberty comes only from the truth. Look at what Jesus, let's, let's look at how, because we are not talking to unbelievers, we are talking to believers who are controlled by the devil. When I'm saying controlled by the devil, they're not demon-possessed. Derek Prince uses a term which is called demonized, meaning they are not possessed, but so many areas of our lives can be controlled by the devil. And we may not be even aware of it. We be aware of it. We think we are fine. Like I said, two Sundays back, it's like the drunkard who thinks he's sober. He's sober. He's staggering on the road, went on two legs, coming back on four, but he says, I don't need help, I'm fine. You know And that's the key. That's what it means in Luke 15 when it says the prodigal son came to his senses. Meaning, you first need to come to this. That's a beginning of freedom is to know that I need help. I need help. Okay? And the believers don't realize we need help. We need help. And God is there to help us. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us. He gave us the word to help us. And he gave us and put us in a church. To help one another. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 33. Okay? Note the first line carefully. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Not to those who did not believe. There were Jews who did not believe. And there were Jews who believed. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Key word is abide. Okay? And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you abide, stay in my word, live in my mind, dwell in my word. Okay? The word is truth. Okay? What happens? You will be free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay? You will be made free. You know what they said? Look at verse 34. They answered him, we are Abraham's dissonance and have never been bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? What is our... Response: we are Christians. Some can we demon possessed, demon controlled. We are Christians. you are saying, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? What a lie. The history begins in bondage in Egypt for 100 years. Right? Then you come to the book of Exodus and after that they come into the wilderness, they are so bound in their mind, though they are released in their body, all they can do is wander around in circles for 40 years. Yes, Ajay? 40 years in circles. Don't get bound in the mind, okay? You will go in circles while I am preaching. Okay? Understood? Then, they win during Joshua's time. And after that, they are under every allied Amalekite, know, Jebusite, parasites, they are under bondage and you can choose your number. God says, how long you want to be under bondage? Okay. You can choose your number. Okay. And then under Saul, minds are in bondage. David gives some freedom, Solomon some freedom after that, that going down. The entire Babylonian captivity. And when they are saying we are free, they are under Roman captivity. But what do they say? You are Abraham's descendants, we are free. You see, as long as you and I are in denial, we will never be free. A lot of us may be in denial. That's why we are not free. We are in denial about our homes, denial about if you are married, about our marriages, denial about our relationships. Denial about ourselves. Denial. Okay. When you are in denial, what happens, one of the primary ways is that either you are fear or you are ashamed or you blame somebody else for your problems when you are in denial. Okay. The step one is to accept, you know what, I am the problem. The problem is not somebody else. I am in denial. Okay. We'll go to that later. So the question is this, are you a son are you a slave? If you go further down, I didn't, this is answered them. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Is there anybody who has not committed sin here? Or maybe already committing in your minds? A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Okay. Okay. That's the thing. It's not about whether you are in the house. The question is whether you are abiding in the house. The slave is also in the house. The son is also in the house. But the slave cannot abide in the house because he pulled by deception to get out. The prodigal son cannot abide in the house. Though he's a son, yet he's a slave. So he's pulled out. But a son abides forever. Okay, he lives there forever. So yesterday's title was uh, son or slave. Right, Sammy? Son or slave. Are you son or are you a slave? And you can be so deceived and think you are a son when you are a slave. Luke 15 verse 13. How sons get deceived. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. What did he first ask? He asked for his freedom, which was bondage. He doesn't realize he's in absolute freedom, liberty in the father's house. But he sees that freedom as bondage. And sees bondage as freedom. That is what happened to Adam and Eve. They were in absolute liberty with the father. They could eat everything except one tree. The devil came and said that as long as you cannot eat that, you are slaves. And the problem is that after they ate it, they couldn't eat anything else. Now they are in slavery. They are in bondage. That's what is happening over here. He is free, but he thinks his freedom has bondage. He asked for his inheritance, his freedom, his liberty, and the father gives him. Checked. Sold it. Took the money. And he went. And what did he do? He had what we say in the world, carnal terms, he had a blast. Prodigal living. That's how we have the term, the prodigal son. Prodigal, wasteful living. But when you are doing that, you don't think you are a slave. You think you are free. You think you are free. You are having a blast. Nobody to tell me anything. That's why all the teenagers are waiting to get out. And be on their own. It's not to work. Because think that is where liberty lies. Where I don't have to listen to anybody. That's what the devil says. That's why he is the first rebel. Because he said I will not listen to anybody. And we need to realize, whenever you think that, you know what, I don't have to listen to anybody, I'm waiting for the time that I don't have to listen to anybody, it is not the spirit of Jesus, it's the spirit of Lucifer. Because Lucifer says, that is where liberty lies. And Jesus says, no, that is where bondage lies. Liberty comes from listening to God, because he's a loving God, a merciful God, a good God. And that's where liberty lies. And this fellow will deceive us by Packaging bondage has liberty. So he goes into bondage, but he thinks he's having a blast. And he come to verse 14 and 15, but when he had spent all, a day will come when he will spend all. That is why when Pastor Vijay teaches to the youth minister remember about uh, ecclesiastic, the final chapter, what should you do when you are young? serve your creator. Why? Otherwise what will happen, you will have a blast, you will have a great time but when old age comes you will have nothing in the bank to withdraw. Spiritually, nothing. Your middle ages, your old age will be miserable, empty, frustration. Why? Because in the days of your youth you did not seek God and listen to him and obey him. And walk with him. And when it comes later in life, you don't enjoy anything. And that's how he deceives you. When he had spent all, what happens? There arose a severe famine in the land. There's famine in the land. Okay? Famine can, because, can happen because of uh, lack of supply. Or the supply doesn't satisfy you anymore. Okay, and what happens? Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now he has hired himself out. A citizen. What is he doing? He is with the swine. He is now into deeper into bondage. You need to realize the devil will only take you deeper deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage. Deeper and deeper. I'm sorry, okay. Deeper and deeper. Okay? Into bondage. Where does deliverance lie? If you read verse 15, when he came to himself, until you come to yourself, your senses, you are never going to be delivered. Never going to be delivered. Now in his case, this is the difference. He had come from his father's house. Therefore he knew what liberty was. Knew what liberty was. That's why we keep on, I especially keep on telling young parents, make your home a happy place. Make your home a peaceful place. Because when your children grow up, there will be lots of issues. Teenagers will have lots of issues. They will want to jump the house. And when they go and they mess it up, they will always know that there was liberty in my father's house. If they don't experience it, they will have nothing to refer back to. Refer back to. That's why the home has to be a very, very peaceful and happy place. Yet there is no conflict. And conflicts are resolved very quietly. Issues are resolved very quietly. But the children need to know our home was very, very... Because these children, are, today's children, are, they know so much. They talk to their friends and everything. You know the kind of feedback we get from around the world. When two children in nursery school and all, you know, they talk to each other. You know, daddy and Mummy were fighting last night. I think they're divorcing. That's the common term. Common term. Home is special. Okay. Please be very, very careful about that. Because every bondage begins with a lie. Every bondage begins with a lie. And the only antidote to lie is truth. The only antidote to lie is truth. In John chapter 8, 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He says the only antidote to lie, bondage, to freedom is truth. We need to know the truth. That's what the word of God is. That's why you struggle to hear. That's why you get distracted. And that's why you fall asleep. Or that you look around. I've never seen, except my wife, never seen anybody else in my life fall asleep in a theater. Five minutes left. We're going for one movie, baby. Yeah, one movie I've gone because the compulsion of the eldest son. She fell asleep. I forgot the movie. <laughs> when I came out, I couldn't remember the name of the movie, so I had to call and find out or text and find out what was the name of the movie which we saw. By the time I came home, I forgot the movie and the name also, because we have to give a feedback, right? So we don't know the name of the movie. She was snoring. Okay, but do you see that you fall asleep during a sermon? A message. You get distracted all over the place. Young people write on their hands. Not the notes, but something else. Scribble. I know who, he knows who I am talking about. The truth will set you free. And verse 86, or 36. If the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So there are two aspects to it. One is truth as an idea. Second, the person who empowers you. Jesus, the person who is truth. Okay, understand that. And that's what Jesus was talking about. I am the truth. And he says, sanctify them by your truth and the truth shall set you free. Okay. Your word is the truth. Sanctify meaning cleaning out the lines, lies in our mind, our life, wiping it out, removing it out totally. Okay. The prodigal son is close to deliverance because he started dealing with the lies in his life. He's very close to deliverance. If you don't deal with the lies in your own, our own lives, okay, then we will not be delivered. We have to deal with the lies. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. That's the first step. I will arise and go what? Go to my father. Go to my father. And will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. What is he saying? What is he saying over there? There are three things he said. One, if you want deliverance to break the lie in your life, first we need to realize we sinned against God. We sinned against our neighbor. I'll go to my father and say, I sinned against heaven, I sinned against you. Okay? We have to acknowledge both. Okay? And third, I'm appealing for mercy. I deserve nothing. I'm not coming with any conditions. I'll leave it into your hands. You know why family restorations don't take place? Even there, they say sorry. They say sorry with conditions. If you do, do, do these things, I will forgive you. You cannot set conditions. Mercy, very nature itself means we don't deserve it. Okay. He's very close to deliverance because he's come to his senses. and realise. you know what? If there's anybody responsible for this goof up, it's me. I am responsible for the mess in my life. It doesn't matter what others did to me. That's irrelevant because God can change it all around. Others are not responsible for the direction of my life, how I end up. I am responsible. Each man has to take accountability, each woman, each child has to ultimately take accountability. I have sinned against you, I have sinned against my neighbor, and I deserve nothing. I am appealing for mercy. And leave the rest into God's hands. You don't tell God what he should do. Or you don't tell the other person what he or she should do. But you are trusting God, not the person. That is the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching is that you encounter truth. You encounter truth. It will identify the lie and you take it out and you ask for mercy. And that's where it begins. A lot of people, a lot of people don't get delivered because they do not go with this. I'm no longer worthy. I am worthy. No, we are not worthy. We are not worthy. We blew away our inheritance. We are not worthy. The father can say, no, you cannot even be my servant. The father can say, okay, I will take you as a hired servant, put you on probation and see how you. The father will say, no, I will keep you as a servant, accepted servant. Or he can say, you are my son. But leave it to the Father. Leave it to God. You cannot set conditions. Because if you set conditions, you are still in bondage. Okay, That's why we saw yesterday, I want you to go back, especially Telugu speaking children, you will get double barrel in English and Telugu. So in the mouth of two witnesses, two languages, it will be firmly established. Okay? That the demonization of believers is real. Being forgiven of our sins is only the first step of salvation. After that begins the conquest of the mind riddled with lies. Riddled, captivated by lies. That's what 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 to 5 it says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Where are these strongholds? In the mind. It's Jericho. It's full of lies. Strongholds of lie after lie after lie. And what is the nature of Jericho? Nobody can come in. Nobody can go. You will not accept it. If there is a stronghold in your mind, you will see that is on one area you will not listen to anybody. Nobody can change you there until you are willing to pull it down. You will see certain areas in our life, you will see that we refuse to change. It's a stronghold. Stronghold. It's got a strong hold on your life. It's Jericho. No. And unless strongholds are brought down, we'll always be in slavery. Slavery. And yesterday we looked at one of the biggest doorways which we don't even aware of. Yesterday the pastors were like, they were not even, aware. none of us are really, really aware of it. Unless like we look at a disease and we look at the symptoms. And if you uh, look at a dis, if you just talk about the disease, you will say, I am fine, I do not have it. But if the doctor starts asking, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have, ah, I have all this. Will You have the disease. So we look at this one portion from yesterday's reference, that is Ezekiel 28, because where did it all begin? It didn't begin on planet Earth, it began in the heavenlies, with Lucifer. That's where the fall began, Ezekiel 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to be, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, he's talking about the devil, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Yeah, quickly. You were in Aden, Eden, the Garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. OK, we'll leave all that his covering was prepared for you on the day you were created. This is what happens. The devil forgets he's a creation. Never forget we are just creation. The minute you forget that we are creation and he's the creator is when trouble begins, and he forgot that. Let's go further. You were the anointed cherub. Even if you are the most anointed person on planet earth, you are still created. Don't sit on your anointing. Be humble on the fact that you were created. So if you are created, you can be destroyed too. I established you. Don't forget who established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Something was found in the devil. It was found in him. What was found in him? By the abundance of your trading and you became filled with violence within. See, we are filled with violence within first. Not outside. Within first. Okay? Within first. Not outside. So even if you don't show outside, you could be filled with, with violence within. And you sinned, therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering Cheru, from the midst of the fiery stones. Why? Your heart was lifted up. That is where it all started. Why? Your heart was lifted up. He was proud. Pride came in. He looked at all that he was. Pride came in. And the problem with pride is that we are very proud that we are not proud Pride pride is so subtle that it can escape an electron microscope. It's so subtle unless we look at the symptoms. It is so subtle. And the biggest stronghold or doorway of the enemy in the lives of believers is pride. It's like a door. As long as you're proud, he can walk in and walk out whenever he wants. It's a doorway. And we have to deal with it Constantly. And look at the symptoms. Pride almost always leads to anger. Whenever somebody touches you on anything you are proud about, you get angry. Get angry. It's not righteous anger. No, no. All bunkum. It goes to self-justification. The blame game begins. No apology. No apology. Only self-justification. Or it goes to self-pity. We saw that in Adam and Eve in chapter 3. No apology. No apology. No sorry. We see that in chapter 4 with Cain. No apology justifies himself. If unchecked, it spirals down. By that you have come to chapter 6 of Genesis, the 10th generation. This is what it says. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the result of it, verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Completely taken over by the enemy. Mind has been taken over and therefore the actions are all violent. Okay. So we need to understand. Instead of fighting the lies in our mind, we fight truth. So we remain in bondage. Okay. The enemy fills up our mind with lies, and we have received those lies and the lies is the stronghold and it is guarded by magnificent walls of pride walls of pride and the stronghold are lies okay yesterday we looked at three we look only at one today okay pride's manifestation we trust in our own righteousness. We trust in our own too. In our own strength. Yesterday the order was different. We looked at trusting in our own strength. We think they are the same. They are not the same. Trusting in your own righteousness and trusting in your own strength are not the same. Trusting in your own wisdom. The Bible talks about there is a wisdom that is from above. And first of all it is peaceable. There is a wisdom that is from below which is demonic in nature. We trust in our own wisdom. We trust in riches. Okay? You can be strong in yourself without being self-righteous. Okay? Peter was strong in himself, but he was not a self-righteous person. Because a self-righteous person cannot be corrected, and Peter could be corrected. Okay? Peter could be corrected, and when he has his first encounter with the miraculous, he says, I I'm am I'm a sinner. So he's not putting on any self-righteousness thing over there, but it's a very strong. Okay, we have kids. Some kids are there, um, babies. Some babies are very uh, strong-willed. It's not a bad thing. It can be an excellent thing if you turn it around their will to obey the will of God. Okay, two babies over here, Atira and Evangeline. Are strong-willed. It's not a bad thing. They're strong-willed. My way. You know what you need to do? Slowly turn it towards the will of the parents and to the will of God. And that strength they will take and they will go out and be great for God. So being strong it's not wrong. But it can be wrong if you use the strength against God. Okay? And being self-righteous is always wrong. Always wrong. If you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23, 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't boast about it. Pride leads to boasting. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. If any man glories, who glories, glory in this that he understands and knows me. If you are really, really proud about something, you should be proud about the fact that you know God. God, It's a teaser. It's a teaser. Because if you really know God, you cannot be proud because God is humble. It's a teaser. You look at the qualities of God in the next three, four verses. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. What is God? God is very lowly in heart. Isaiah fifty-seven, and one shall say, Oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. Th- that is right. Okay, uh, oh, okay, it's right. Shall, heap it up, heap it up. Prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. What is the stumbling block? It's pride. Take it out. Take out that block of pride. Why? For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. God is so humble, though he inhabits eternity, he says, I look for humble people with whom I can stay. So Jesus is meek and lowly. God says, I am meek and lowly. And our favorite words, Romans 8. 28 and 29. We know all that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We love that, right? But we don't see. Verse words 29. What's words, words for 29? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the image of his son? He's meek and lowly. All things work good for only those who become meek and lowly. Otherwise, it does not work for your good. It worked good for Joseph because he became meek and lowly. It became worked out good for David because he was meek and lowly. So don't just run away with 28, take 29 along. Whether you like it or not, if you are a child of God, you will be humble. So that you look like a father. So one day God can look around and says, like father, like son. Like daughter. You will be humble. You cannot escape this. Okay? So like I said yesterday, First Peter 5, verse 5 to 8, Likewise you younger people submit your elders. That is what younger people don't like. Why should I? My father graduate. I am PG. Father is wise. You will say go, stay in PG. Leave my house. (laughs) <laughs> you are so smart. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. You have to put it on. You put it on. What the Bible says, For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know what? God resists the proud. If you are a child of God, but a proud child of God, God will come after you. Because he already declared, he will conform to the image of his son. So, believers, sometimes we blame the devil for a lot of things. Yes, he is the one working in our lives, but permitted by the Father to humble us. The devil is just an instrument, a stick in God's hands. That's all he is. Don't give him too much bhav. Luke 22, verse 31, 32. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as sweet. Meaning, if you are a child of God, the devil cannot do anything without asking God. Either you open the door and invite him. Answer to that, repent, kick him out, close the door. But there are other times God opens the door for him to come in. Then you should go to Revelation 3 and the door that he opens, no man can shut until the work is over. So no, we use all these promises only where it, we like it, right? If God opens a door, God opened a door in Job's life, right? In chapter 1, he opened a door. It was shut only in chapter 42. Okay? So please understand this. Understand principles. He's asking and he says... But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, that means he failed. He fell Headlong he fell. So God allowed Satan to sift him and Peter to fall. And then quietly he crawls back. With all wounds, licking his wounds, he comes back. All his strength is gone. Everything is gone. He doesn't put trust in himself. And that great Peter... Towards the end of his life has something very beautiful to say. What is that? God resists the proud. How do you know? Experience. Is this revelation? No, uncle. This is experience. Experience is the best teacher, right? Peter would tell you it's the best teacher. God whacked nicely. And it, was, it is humiliating. Because even to a servant girl, he said, I do not know him. And cursed in his native language. He yes. fell so badly. So badly. So please don't ever think God will not hand over his children into the hands of the enemy to teach us. I'll give you rules. scripture after scripture patterns in the Old Testament. Judges 2. The anger of the Lord was hot against against, so he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. Next one. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He sold them into the hand of this unnameable king. We don't even pronounce it. It's not worth it. How many years? Eight years. Eight years. Next one: the children of uh, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done. You know what? He strengthened the enemy to overpower them. Next one: for Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Okay, you will see eight years, eighteen years. You can pick how long you want to be disciplined. It's your choice. Next one. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them in the hand of the Midian for seven years. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Like the prodigal son, when you come to your senses and you cry out, God says, Fine, I humble you. Okay. So please look at these patterns and understand the physical pattern over there is a spiritual pattern over here. There are times when God will open a door. Say, Lord, teach. Go. Teach my children a few lessons. Okay. But remember, all the while, God is in control and not the devil. The devil cannot do anything he wants. God sets the limits. Job 1 verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. You can touch his property, you can touch his children, but don't touch him. That included his wife. Because God doesn't see them as two, he sees them as one. So God opens the door and sets the limits what can be done. So God is in control. Next verse in chapter 2. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skinny, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh. He will surely curse you to your face. What did God say? Said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. He said, okay, you can touch his body too, but you won't take his life. I will allow you to afflict him with sicknesses. But he will not die. He will not die. So God, through it all, is in control. He sets the limits. Okay? So don't ever think the devil is in control of our lives. No, he's not. He may have power over lives in many areas wherever God gives us or we have given him, but God is in control. Okay? So what is the whole, what is the whole purpose? The purpose is, like I said, the whole purpose is, today we are only looking at it, don't put trust in your righteousness. That's the problem with believers after a, after a while getting saved. Romans 3.21, we are not looking at all the verses because we looked yesterday in detail. Now the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, apart from the law is revealed. This is the righteousness of God, it's God's righteousness. And there is another righteousness which comes from doing the works of religion, of the law. Okay, All religion has a law and when you do those works, you are considered good. And after some time, but that is, you earned it. So it is yours. It's yours. You see, let us say, I give Samir 5,000 rupees. Samir, take, go have a blast. But it is a free gift. Okay? But he works. He works. And he gets his salary. He goes out with that 5,000 rupees. and, And he has a blast. And if somebody were to ask, hey, Samir, Why are you wasting your money? Go mind your own business. It's my money. I earned it. Automatic. On the other hand, I see, Hey, Samir, you shouldn't be spending that money there. I'm sorry, pastor. Do you see? Self-righteous people always become proud. Automatically, they cannot be corrected. Because you, you think you earned it. And that's the issue. You do not earn anything with God. Anything with God. Anything with God. So there are two righteousness. There's a righteousness that is of God, which is freely given. And there is the righteousness that comes by? uh, Sorry, that comes from the works of the Lord. Did I give you those? Yeah. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles... Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It does not mean by the works of the law, no one is justified. Yes, you are justified. You know who? Before your neighbors. But you know, your neighbor cannot take you to heaven when you die. All he can do is bury you. That's the problem. We are all justified before our neighbors by our good works. But can it take you anywhere when you die? No. So understand, if you next, when you die to move on to the other side, you need to be justified by God, not by your neighbor. You need to be justified by God. And no one is justified by the works of the law. And we struggle with this. Right, I had I had given you one more. Yeah, for as many are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Isn't that true with your neighbor? You are a nice man. You do everything and your neighbor says, Oh sister, your husband is so nice. You're so lucky and everything. And one day the neighbor was r- driving around the road. He stands you, sees you standing before the wine shop. Immediately the neighbor's opinion has changed. How, oh, yo, what happened to this poor lady? She's married a drunkard. How long did it last? How long did it last? That's James 2.10. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of fall. That is how your neighbors judge you. If you are not good all the time, they will say you are bad. It doesn't work with God. God's righteousness is a free gift. If you are saved by faith, in your eyes, you are always good. Because you did not earn it. He gave it to you free. Are you getting the picture? We understand the example which I gave you. If you want to be good before your neighbor, you have to be good all the time. If you are bad once, they will say you are bad. But when God calls you good, He's not looking at all, anything of your bad. He says, it is not even your righteousness, your works. I taken my righteousness given to you because you believed in the work of my son. Now after that, what I start on you is to make you more like me. You know our struggle? But you know what happens? Once believers get saved, after some time they have been taught, do this, do this, do this, do this, they started shifting their weight to the things they do. And start feeling good about it, that you know what, but you know what, that's a thing, you should do good. But if you put your weight on it, you become dangerous. Your life becomes dangerous. Look at Luke chapter 18 verses 10 to 14. 10 to 14. Yeah. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Why? Because he doesn't need God to justify him. He's justifying himself. So he doesn't need to pray to God. He's praying to himself. Basically he's praying so the others can hear how good he is. He doesn't sing how great thou art. He sings how great I am. Okay? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. It's always, see, you always compare yourself with somebody else. You know what happens? Even when you sin, you don't feel so guilty because you'll always say, I didn't sin like the other one. It's like the nursery song we used to teach our children, how they learn from nursery school. no? Policeman, policeman, Do not arrest me, arrest him, because I stole silver, but he stole gold. So I am better than him. Get the picture? Look through your minds. This goes. This goes. That is why we do not feel conviction. That is why we do not cry out. That is why we do not repent. Because after some time we started putting weight on our good works. And without thinking we are all karmics. The good will outweigh the bad. God says, who told you? Then my son didn't have to come and die. Good never outweighs the bad. The good will be good, the bad will be bad. And you'll be judged for the bad, not for the good. We start putting our weight on this instead of trusting Christ from the beginning till the end. And What happens? We become judgmental. When We see somebody falling. Instead of trying to help them to stand up. We start judging them. That's what happens. Even as this tax collector. We start judgmental. Where does the judgmental spirit come within the body of Christ? Because we are shifted from the righteousness of God. And we have started putting our righteousness in our good works. The works are good. You should do it. But your righteousness does not come from that. Jesus always comes from God and God alone. So you know what happens? We become judgmental. We start comparing ourselves with others. So you know what? We are not able to extend mercy or grace to others. And that's God. And God wants to make us like him. And what is he? Always extending mercy and grace and yet bringing to the truth. And We are not able to extend mercy and grace nor do we stand on truth. Our truth is a truth about ourselves. I am better than everybody else. This is the problem where it comes. And Jesus says, look at the other guy. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes his eyes to heaven and bit his breast saying, God be merciful to me as sinner. Who didn't even? You look at the prodigal son's story. Jesus always used this one after one after. The prodigal son's story, the prodigal son is the publican. And the eldest son is the Pharisee. And he always compares himself with the younger son. And we could be either of it or a combination of both. Job 1-1. Absolutely fantastic guy and that's how we should be. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. It's good that's how we should be but the problem is when you start putting on this I am blameless I am upright and I shun evil therefore you know what I'm right with God. You start putting your weight on your righteousness. That was his problem. Okay. So when the test comes, the question is, how long can he handle depression? Chapter 1, he handled it. Chapter 2, he handled it. Right? He handled chapter 1, and chapter 2, he handled pretty well. Because chapter 2 ends by, in all those things, he did not sin by anything which he said. Right? But chapter 3, he moves into depression. That's the problem. Self-righteousness can handle pressure only to a point. After that you buckle under it. You will not. You cannot handle pressure. If you have to handle pressure, the enemy will bring pressure. The world will bring pressure. Families will bring pressure. Marriage will bring pressure. Children will bring pressure. Office will bring pressure. And if you are self-righteous after a point, you will break Because you do not have the grace of God, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to withstand the pressure. You break, you crack under it. You know what he does in chapter 3, verse 1? He opened his mouth and cursed himself. The day he was born. Day he was born. You break under pressure. You go into depression. You go into discouragement. You get suicidal thoughts. You curse. Because you cannot handle it. You cannot handle it. And to show that you cannot handle it, that your righteousness is not of God, your righteousness is from your self God allows you to go that route. He allows you. He allows you to go that route. That you are a self-righteous person. Your works are good, but it has translated into your life as a righteousness. And anyone who puts his trust in the works of the law is cursed. So he curses himself. He doesn't need anybody else to curse him. He curses himself. Or you get angry. Genesis 4, 6. He gets angry. Right? Cain gets angry. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance... Ajay? Not Ajay. Uh, Mahesh. Okay? Why has your countenance fallen? Some people don't get angry. Their face is like a cloud. Storm cloud. That's why I don't like masks, because you do not know what they are thinking. You all, when you look at masks, everybody looks so angry. So you should smile with your eyes. Countenance has fallen. He's angry. Why? Because his work was not accepted. It's not accepted. His righteous works were not accepted. And he was very angry. Either you will be depressed, or you will be angry. And then three friends of Job come. They are not bad guys. I wish I had a few friends like that in life when I was going through my rough patches. I wish I had friends like that. They're not necessarily bad guys. You, you see, sometimes you listen to what we say from certain portions of the book of Job without reading the book of Job. So you do not know what kind of guys these are. And we tar them saying that these are terrible guys. No, they're, not, they're very good friends. Read to them. When they coming from far From far they saw him. They heard about his tragedy. They heard and they're coming to this thing. From far they saw him. They saw Job has changed. He's afflicted from head to foot. You know what? From far they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe. Sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. And verse 13. They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was... Do you have a friend like this? Oh, blessed are people who have friends like this, who will grieve with you, cry with you, won't even eat. When they see your tragedy and not laugh at you. So they are not bad men, they are good men. They are not bad men, they are good men. Only thing, their interpretation went wrong. Okay? So we should listen to them too. What was God's issue with these three? He said, my issue with you is not what you told Job. Your issue, my issue with you, that you misrepresented me. Look at Job 40, uh, 42. So it was after the Lord has spoken this word to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz at the night, My wrath is against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. You misrepresented me. That's our problem. In the world, we are the ones who represent God. And God's issue with us is the way we live, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we react. We misrepresent him. He says, I have come down with full of grace and full of truth, full of mercy, full of kindness, full of compassion. And you know what? You become like Pharisees and you misrepresent me. That's not who I am. How does unbeliever know God when he looks at us? Like I said, truth is unbearable. It is grace that makes it bearable. And appetizing. Undesirable. That's where truth is not put first. Grace is put first. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And that's what he's talking about. Twice he says. Right? Now therefore take... Okay, and this, for Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. His issue with them is that, not that they are bad people, he says, you know what, you misrepresented me to Job. That's not who I am. And we are all guilty of it. That is why we have to keep growing, being sanctified by the truth, full of grace, full of mercy, full of compassion, never wavering from the truth, so that we become more and more accurate representation of who God is. And that's why Jesus came. One of the reasons Jesus came is that to show us what the Father is like. He said, you know what, all the people have come before me, many of them good, never knew. Because no one has seen the Father, but I have come from the bosom. I am representing the Father to me. Philip said, show us the Father. He says, if you have seen my Father, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. My Father is exactly like me. Merciful, kind, compassionate, will not budge from the truth. But he will give you space and time and give you all the resources of grace to grow up into it. That's who God is. So you will see Jesus was always tough and angry only with the Pharisees and never with the sinners. Never with the sinners. To the point it is written about him, a smoking flax he will not put off and a bruised reed he will not break. But with the Pharisees, he was always upset with them, angry with them. You know why? With the Pharisees are representing God to these people and he says, you are misrepresenting me totally. This is not who I am. Woe to you, Pharisee. Woe to you, Pharisee. Woe to you, Pharisee. Not blessing to you, Pharisee. Why? You're misrepresenting me. And we need to be very, very careful because after getting saved, when we become a little better, we become pharisaical. That's so why I always said from this pulpit, from this pulpit, we preach truth. The minute we step down, we are all grace. We are not true. We will not walk in. We live in truth. Try to align our lives in truth. Keep confessing, repenting, but we walk in grace. Walk in grace. That's how Jesus is dealing with the broken people. Everyone, it doesn't matter. No condemnation, no judging. Samaritan woman, woman caught in adultery, goes to synagogue, here is a woman, bent over by Satan for 18 years. he comes, be set free. And he says, she too is the daughter of Abraham. No condemnation. I know it's because of a sin. You've been walking around like this for eight. nothing. Just be free. Just be free. The Son of Man did not come to condemn. He came to seek and to save the lost. And we need to be very We are not being flexible about truth at all. But truth is desirable only when grace goes before it. And that's what he had an issue with These two friends. He said, you know what? You misrepresented me. Misrepresented me. And you need to be very, very clear about grace. Grace does not misrepresent truth at all. Ever at all. So we mistake. The problem is, when you misrepresent God, and we all do from Adam onwards, when God, Hebrews chapter 4, sorry, 10, Hebrews chapter 10, the next one, 12, 12, 12, 12, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves. Don't focus on the word chastens. Focus on the word loves. Whom God loves. When God's love is absolutely perfect. Read the portion Paul talks about the love of God. It cannot be measured. He loves you like that. And if he loves you like that, he chastens you, disciplines you. He scourges every son whom he receives. What is our issue? We confuse the discipline of God as punishment. Because we, the devil has misrepresented God to us and through multitudes of men. When God disciplines us, He loves us. He's not punishing us. Though we may feel pain. Though we may feel. That's our issue. We are confusing discipline with punishment. No, there is punishment in discipline. But He disciplines us because He loves us and not because He hates us. Genesis 14, verse 13 and 14, when you are not able to understand the difference. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out of this day from the face of the ground. No, you got it wrong. He came searching for him. He didn't even condemn him. He didn't condemn Adam. He didn't condemn Eve. God knows everything that they have done. He comes and says, Adam, Adam, where are you? That's not how we represent God. Adam, don't hide. I know what you have done. Is that what we tell to our children? Tommy, come from under the bed. I know you have broken again something. (laughs) We are not like God at all. If God were like us, how will he say, Adam, I know where you are hiding. And I know you did what I told you not to do. Now, Uh, Michael, get the cane. That's not God. He's always giving us a chance to come to him first and acknowledge. Adam, Adam, where are you? They should have come running and fallen at his feet. And they I have mercy on us. We goofed up. Should have been a different story altogether. I was afraid. I was ashamed. He said, who told you? Who told you that? Last time we met, I did not tell I didn't see you afraid or ashamed. Who told you? Did you? Doesn't he ask? Did you eat? As if God doesn't know. You know what? You need to learn parenthood from God. When your children do something wrong and you know they have done wrong, you should ask them, did you do this? Did you do this? <laughs> giving them a chance. Come out. Be open. Acknowledge, tell me. Did you do this? Did you eat? What's the thing? <laughs> yes or no? The woman you gave. Me, the woman you gave. Me. She's at fault, you are at fault. I didn't ask for. I would have married a chimpanzee if you had left me alone. <laughs> Actually I like the chimpanzee very much because you'd have scratched my back nicely. The woman you gave me makes me scratch her back all the time. Not, I'm not talking about my wife again. (laughs) You know the blame game begins. The blame game begins. But that's not who God is. That is not who God is. You have. With Cain, he knows he's probably taken a rock the head of his brother. We don't know how he killed Abel. And God comes as if he doesn't know anything. Cain! Cain! There is your brother! This is the God who tells the blood of your brother is crying out for vo-. he hears this voice. But he keeps shuts it down and says, Cain! Cain! Where is your brother? Will you acknowledge you killed your brother? You understand who he is? misrepresented from Genesis 3 onwards who God is. And we are all guilty. All guilty of misrepresenting God. Giving him a chance. Response? Am I my brother's keeper? You are your brother's murderer and you are saying am I my brother's keeper? Nothing. And then when God has to discipline him now he says my punishment is too. He doesn't see it as discipline. He doesn't be chastening from a loving god he says you know what my punishment you are driving me from you be careful you need to understand who god is this is who god is and before all his three friends from chapter 3 onwards job is defending his righteousness The entire argument of Job is connected into two parts. You tell me if I didn't do this, I did this for the widow, I did this for the orphan, I did this, 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 and I did not do this, I did not do this. He's defending his righteousness. Think about it, I'll give you an example which may sound funny, but never happens, but so that you understand. Okay? Let us, let us say tonight I go for dinner. I'm at home at dinner. My wife makes something and there's too much salt on it. No chili in it. Okay. I said, what's wrong with you? You know, I don't like this. And she says, you know, what do you mean? Don't I run GSS? Don't I take care of all these orphans? Am I not praying for? I mean, what has that got to do with this? That's wrong. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I don't do this. Because these guys are very simple in this theology. These three things they say, you know. We know you are a good man. We know you are very good. See, but how can such a tragedy happen to a very good man? karbada hai. pani mein mein zarur hai. Maybe your children did evil. Maybe you have sinned. Just acknowledge na. Like we say. Just acknowledge na. It will be over. Job is defending all self-righteousness comes out. What do you mean? I am evil? I will give you a list of my righteousness. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Let me tell you. I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. That is the book of Job. The worst thing that can happen to a man is he becomes self-righteous. It's worse than sinning. Worse than sinning. That's how the prodigal son's story ends. The younger son, the sinner, is inside celebrating. It lives open-ended story. The older son is still outside. The self-righteous guy is outside. And that's what Jesus was telling. You know what? The harlots and the publicans are getting into the kingdom of God. You guys are outside. We think sin is worse. The worst sin you can be is become self-righteous after getting saved. We have to guard our hearts from that spirit. God have a heart from that spirit. That's the whole thing. So these three older men keep on argument going on, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, everybody's tired arguing with Job. You cannot win an argument with Job. So they stopped. And there's a fourth guy who's young. He says, I gave way to all your gray hairs and all. I kept my mouth shut. Now that you're all tired, let me say a few words. You didn't give me a chance to put a word sideways. But let me speak and listen to what he says. So these three men ceased answering, 32, to answering Jew, because he was righteous in his own eyes. That is the problem. That's our problem. That's when we go from, we become righteous in our own eyes. So God will allow us to fall and fail so much that when we rise up, you know with evidence I am a sinner. I don't need anybody to tell me. I know it very well. I am a sinner. God says, now you are ready to get saved. Prodigal son will never say I am righteous. He says, I am worse than a pig because I wanted to eat their food. He will allow us to fall and fall and fall so that we stop becoming self-righteous. Righteous in his own eyes. Let's leave all that. His wrath of Elohu was that against Job. His wrath was Eros because he justified himself rather than God. That's the problem. He was righteous in his own eyes and justified himself rather than God. Every time you ripen and say, Lord, have mercy on me, Lord. I believe in your mercy. I believe in your compassion, Lord. I need grace to overcome. You justify God. You justify God. Every time you go and argue, you No, know, I did this, I did this, I didn't do this, why is this happening to me? You justify yourself. And that's been happening for the past 15 months. When tragedy is hitting Christian homes, people throw up their arms and say, I did this, I did this, I went this. Why is this tragedy happening? Why did you take my husband? Why did you take my wife? Why did you take my child? You justify yourself. First two chapters, he did not. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Wife came, chapter 2, and said, curse God and die. He said, we shall receive only good and not evil from God. So in all these things, the Bible says when chapter 2 ends, he did not sin. But chapter 3 onwards, it changed. It changed. Okay. So we need to be very careful. that with our words, with our attitude, we justify God. You know why? Because God is always just. He's always righteous. He's always good. And Moses gets it. That's how Deuteronomy 32, right? How he says, All your ways are perfect. We sang that song, right? That Moses song. Can you really sing at Moses stage like that? Describe greatness to our God, the rock. All his ways are perfect. All his ways are righteous. Really? What did you leave? Throne of Egypt. What did you live? 40 years in the wilderness. Another 40 in the wilderness. How many did you bring out? 600,000. How many are you taking out? Two and not me. Where are your brothers? Bones in the desert. You still think God is good? He's good all the time. You think his ways are right? He's always right. He learned it. Why could he learn? Because he became meek and lowly. Meek and lowly, God is able to reveal himself to you. He looks at God and says, You know, Lord, you're awesome. You're awesome. You're good. You're good. Otherwise, we start blaming everybody else. Never take responsibility. My husband, my children, my wife, my friends, my boss. God says, no. Got it wrong. So finally in chapter 38, God appears. And God appears. First statement is to this. God answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? bade bade baat bol Job? What is <laughs> this? You sound like the fool who read the book of Job for 42 chapters and said, Pastor, I read it, thought, I thought if I read it, I will get a job. <laughs> 42 chapters and meditator is still looking for a job. And it is not job, it's the book of Job. Job yeah. talking big, big words without knowledge. You have to read what God says. Where were you when I started these things? When I started the universe. Through one star there, one million there, the sun there, the moon there, the lightning there. By the way, where were you all this? You're making big, big discussions about me, you know? Pontificating about me. Where were you? Where were you? Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, God is talking to Job. Do you really know me, dude? Do you really understand me? And then finally he comes to that very terrible verse, chapter 40 and verse 8. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Can we have a simpler translation? You need to look at that. God is actually talking to us. When we go through trouble because God is disciplining us and God is chastening us because we are his children. And we start throwing up our hands and start defending ourselves before God. I didn't do this. I did this. This is what God says. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Isn't that what Naomi said in trouble? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. because God is against me. I went out full, came empty. You know what? She justified herself and condemned God, so God could not redeem her. He redeemed the poor Moabite who had nothing, no righteousness to stand in the house of Israel. What Moabite? Have? What does a Moabite have? She is not even allowed to enter into the house of God for ten generations. They have no righteousness to stand. So God redeemed her. Redeemed her. We need to understand where our problems lie, where our trouble comes from. No? But the church is full of broken people. The church is full of broken people. Orphans, single moms, single fathers, broken homes. And everybody on the earth is ultimately broken because the reigning spirit in the world is the orphan spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned and lost connection with God, they lost their father. So the orphan spirit controls. But we are no longer orphans now. God says, I am your father. I am your father. So ultimately, Job 42 verses 1 to 6, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Therefore, you ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. He says, I heard the law. I did this, I did this, I did this. I thought that is the way I become good. But now my eyes have seen your righteousness and I realize I can never earn it. You can never match up to it. It is impossible. All I can is trust in you, believe in you, and receive in a gift by faith. And then in grace, keep on growing in the knowledge of God by faith from the beginning till the end. It will be a free gift so that no man will boast. My eyes have seen you. When I see you as you are, what do I do? I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. God says... Satan, leave him alone. Work accomplished. Can go. Get out of his life. He's humble. He's meek. He's lowly. And he's a good man. He's a man of integrity, man of blameless, who fears God, shuns evil, but was proud. Now he's humble. Work done. Can live him. And God blessed. The plans that I have for you are Never bad. All things work together for the good of those who love God and call according to His purpose. Everyone He has predestined, He has predestined to be conformed to His image. What is His image? Meek and lowly. And if we don't become that, He will make us that. Are we getting the picture? He understands my righteousness, which is self-righteousness from the good works I did, is like filthy rags before God. The prodigal son came back, torn, naked, broken. The older son is at home. The older son is a son who never left home or never left church. When we say never left church, we fit into that, right? Let's look at him. Him. His oldest son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Ta-da! Music and dance. Oh, it's a long time. I haven't heard much singing in this house, no dancing in this house. Suddenly this music. What happened? He wouldn't go inside. So he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant? He said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Okay, now you don't. I want, to, I want to talk about that too, but I'm not talking it today. But he was angry. He was angry. Self-righteous people are always angry because you touch their righteousness. You touch their righteousness, they get wild. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Yes, verse 28. He, yeah. So he answered and said to his father, "Lo." These many years I have been serving you. I never transgress your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with your friends. He refused to go in. And he's angry. He's in bondage. But because he's in the father's house and never misses church, we think he's free. But he's not free. He's controlled by lies. Lie number one. These many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment. There is only one man who can say that. That is Jesus. We all have transgressed our father's commandment. They didn't know, but we did. He's saying, you know what? I have always done what you told me. Really? Really? Can any child sitting here say that I always did what my father asked me to do? The only one child who said it, that is Jesus, Father. I always obey you. Lie number one. These are the lies that call us in bondage. I will put it in your terms. I always so work so hard in my office, but I never get promoted. Really, you always work hard. Can we have a one-year CCTV camera and put it before the church? The people are laughing. And then suddenly you would say. You're sitting in the coffee machine and talking, 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 talking. Oh, I thought you said. Really? CCTV CCTV cameras are according to the times. Without that, nobody would work today. Old days you never needed anything because their word was their bond. People worked. They did not need supervisors. Have you did supervisor, supervisor to supervisor, supervisor, another fellow to watch the supervisor? Still they steal from everywhere. And what does he say? Never transgressed you. Get rid of that lie. We all have transgressed. We all have failed. We all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal. As long as you keep saying, I have done nothing wrong in this. You will never be delivered. Because that's the lie number one. Holds you in bondage. In marriage, in homes, in offices, everywhere. It takes two hands to clap. And all you can do is go before God and say, Lord, I cannot do anything about my other person. I acknowledge my guilt in this. God says, go free. Lie number one. I've never done anything wrong. Lie number two. You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Really? Go to verse 12. And the younger of them said to Father, Father give me the portion of goods that falls into me. So he divided to them. He's the eldest son so he got two, two portions. The younger one got one. You have two portions of the entire estate. They're all belong to you. The sheep, the goats, the cows, the bulls, everything is yours. You are telling me you did not have one goat? Lie number two. Children keep telling dependent, You never did anything for me. Really? You never bought me good clothes when I was growing up. You never. You ready? Lie number two. Get rid of these lies. These are the lies in your mind. The devil deceives to hold you in bondage. Did you know the other side of the story? Did you know how much they sacrificed to put you through? You don't know. Do you know how much it cost God to set us free? And you are saying you gave us nothing. When the Bible says, if you did not spare his only son for us, how much more with him he will give us all things. Lie number two. There are lies we need to deal with. Lie number three, verse 30. But as soon as this, this, son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Wait a second son. Were you there with the younger one? Who told you he spent his life with harlots? You know what you are? You're a gossip and a slanderer without evidence. How dare you believe the bad report of your brother from somebody else when you should have covered your brother? You're a slanderer. You're a gossip. Your ears are tuned to listening to evil about your brother. When love Bible says, "Love covers a multitude of sins." Lie number three that holds you bondage. Coming to brass tacks, the real thing. Why we need deliverance, all of us. The elder son is more in bondage in the house of his father, and the younger son who went and wasted his life away. The younger son is so close to redemption. And the older son is so far away. Nicodemus is so far away from redemption, when the Samaritan woman is so close. He had five husbands and living with the sixth one. You would never give a chance to the Samaritan woman, but you would give all the chance to Nicodemus. But she's the one who believes, and he walks out in the night because Jesus does not. That is happen. Say, Nicodemus, your righteousness is great. No, get born again. You need to put trust in me, not in your good works. And he walks away understand it's our issue that's why we struggle there is no way God can restore us until we break these strongholds in our mind pull those lies down and replace it with the truth of God and you know suddenly we will feel freedom yes Lord this is who I am I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. Then Lord, I will extend mercy and I will extend grace. Because why? I received it free and I will give it free. I will not demand. I will not demand. True freedom. Listen to verse 31. And he said to me, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Really? That's not what I say. That is not what I say. I say the other way around because I'm an earthly father. Whenever I have to comfort people who are going through trouble, what do I say? Son, I am always with you. What does the father say? You are always with me. But you may not experience that I am always with you. It's absolutely two different things. Two different things. He doesn't say I am always with you. Because that you have to believe and receive that God is with you. But he says you are always with me. I have engraved your name on the palms of my hand. I carry the beloved on my shoulders. The thoughts that I have towards you cannot be counted. Not even a hair from your head falls without me knowing. You're always with me. But the problem is, I'm not always in you, in your mind, in your heart. Enemy has messed up about who I am. He made me a madman. He made me an angry man. He made me a nasty man. He told you, no, I do not have your best in my life. That's why I had the cross. If you don't believe the cross, you cannot believe anything else. I have your best in my heart. So what is the truth? What is the truth? So there was only one son. That was Jesus. Look at what that son says. You know what that son says? The son says what the father wants to hear. He who sent me is with me. The father has left me. Never left me alone. The father says, son, you are always with me. The son says, the father is always with me. Why? Because I have come to do his will. Look at John 16. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has come. Now you will be scattered east to his own. All of you will leave me and go. You know his assurance, but he leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the father is with me. The Father is saying, the Son is with me. The Son is saying, the Father is with me. And that should we become. As we go through all these issues in our life, and people abandon us in droves, trouble comes. But because we know our Father is loving, and we want to serve Him, we want to do what He wants to do, when we fail also, we don't run away from Him, we run towards Him, we can always say, my Father is with me. While well, the Father says, you are always with me. Always with me. This is the story. These are the lies that need to be broken in our minds. Because if these things are not broken, we cannot be redeemed. So Younger or older? Let's finishly sum up what the Father does to those who come home. Broken, wasted, messed up their lives. You have to go back to the Father. Just as the elder, younger one did. Father, I am not worthy. I give my life completely into your hands and I will accept your justice. You can say, I don't want you here. You can say, you shall be my hired servant. You can say, you can be a hired servant. I don't even dare to dream. You will say, you are my son. I will leave it to you. What does the father say? Luke 15, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. When we come broken, messed up, filthy, goofed up, we come to God just as we are. What does the father do? Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Now you're not rejoicing in your works or condemning yourself because of your. you're looking at what God has done. You are not looking at your evil deeds. You are not looking at your good deeds. You are looking at what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What does he say? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, bring the best robe, is what the father says. You see, the father never changed, he's always been the same. When he dressed us up, when we came to him, it is the best. Universe has the righteousness of God. Nothing better than nothing can even compare to that. The righteousness of God. Put a ring on his finger. Genesis forty one. Thirty-nine. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, in as much as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house. All my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regarding to the throne will I be greater than you. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his finger. Put it on. What does the ring signify? I give you back your position. As many as who received him, he gave them the authority to become the sons of God. The sons of God. And we should be jumping. We should be exalting. You know what? I don't care to hoots what the world says. I don't care to hoots what the devil says. I know whose I am. My identity comes from whose I belong. I am a child of God that, that can never be erased. It cannot be taken away because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And God is my father. I'm not an orphan. I'm not an orphan. I'm not a widow. I'm not an orphan. God is my father. He's a husband to the widows and a father to the fatherless. And Jesus said, that's why I came. To show you who the dad is and take you back to the dad. But only through me. You have to believe in what I do. What I do. And put... Sandals on his feet. Sandals on his feet. Why? Because the most important thing to defeat the enemy is this. Romans 5-2, we have, 5-1, we have peace with God. Peace with God. You cannot do anything to a man or a woman who has peace with God. The devil doesn't know what to do with them. Everything he's doing is to shake their peace. So they are at peace with God. If you are at peace with God then there is nothing the devil can do. Because his intimidation, deception is caused you to fear, cause fear to run. It is fear that causes you to do most things. That is why in the list in Revelation the first thing is fear. Because fear causes you to do things worse than the crime they say about Nixon. Worse than the crime is the cover up. Worse than what David did was the cover up. Why did he cover up? Because he was afraid. Oh, my self-righteous image. My image will be gone. God says, I get two hoots about your image. You don't have image anywhere. Your image is my image. You want to an image restored? Come and tell me what you did. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against My sin is always before you. God says, good. The image is restored. You never had an image in the first place. It was my image. And you started running on your image. It's gone. Now come back and get my image again. Are you getting the picture? That's why we need peace with God. The devil has no answer to peace. I said the antidote to fear is peace. And that's what God offers. And he says it is not like the peace that the world gives. Ephesians 6.15 That is our witness. Our feet are shod with peace. It's important. Romans 12.18 As far as possible. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He says, that's not say with God, with man. With God, it's always possible. But with man, some people, you cannot live with them peace. All you do is leave them alone. And God says, that's fine. If you're wrong, just say sorry and move out. You don't have to worry about it. As far as possible. But don't be in hostility with them. As far as possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. With some of the people, just sip your mouth. That's all. Silence is gold. Precious. Don't say anything. Even if they say anything, just sip your mouth. If they say something here through one ear, let it go from the other ear. Or I just put a cotton in your ear. Don't even let it get in. Because some of them may stay and few may go out. As far as possible. It depends upon you. Peace with God? Possible. Because He will never condemn you. Fathers don't condemn. Heavenly Father does not condemn his children. He convicts them and they repent. He wipes it off. It, it, it's out of his memory. Erased. People? As far as possible. Why? That is your witness. Your feet. Why Romans 16, 20? And the God of peace will crush Satan under his feet. He's very scared of people who walk in peace. The father said, being the best robe. What is that? Authority. But authority without power is pointless. I need authority and I need power. When the Holy Spirit comes, you shall have power and you shall be my witnesses. Already when I received Jesus, I received authority. You received authority as a child of God, but no power. For power to come, you need to be walking in peace. Peace. When you have peace, you have power over the enemy. What is that? Behold, you shall trample upon snakes and scorpions, and they shall by no means harm you. Now you have power, you have authority, because you have been closed only in the righteousness of God. God says, walk like that. Walk like that. Never ever flip to one side or the other side. Don't go into condemnation if you sin." My little children, I write to you this that you do not sin. 1 John 2 1. But if you sin, you have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ. If you repent, if you confess, the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all unrighteousness. What is left? The righteousness of God, which is always in it never changes. Devil has no answer to that. Answer to that, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. And that's what the Bible says when Jesus came. He came full of grace and full of truth. And out of his grace, we have received blessing after blessing after blessing. And it's a peaceable life in the midst of a storm. That's why one of my favorite portions in the Bible, one is of course Mark one thirty-five about prayer life. The other is in the midst of a storm. In a storm, how does the boat go? Do you see that? Storm is blowing in your life. Everything is going around. Wrong. All around you. You are at peace. You know Why? Because there is no storm inside. Absolutely calm inside. So when you wake up, you look at the storm. Because you have peace inside, you speak to the storm. Peace. Peace. And it is still. It's a demonic storm. You tell the devil, stop. I'm not going to listen to your lies. I am not going to listen to you. I will not allow you to rent space in my head. My head. Belongs to God. Like the with the rest of my body. And my soul. And my spirit. I'm not going to allow you to rent space in my head. Truth will set you free. And the sun will set you free. Shall we stand? As you stand, look at the screen. And read the verse. The God of peace. Shall soon crush Satan. God wants that joy. He gets pleasure every time, every child of it crushes the serpent and said, he said, that's what you are, my child. That's what you are. Overcome us. Overcome us. Father, this morning we just come to you. You are such a loving God, Father. Such a loving God. We do not want to be like the older son standing outside, angry, upset, because somebody who fell away, somebody who did not deserve it came in. Because we think we deserve it without realizing it. Neither the elder son nor the younger son deserved anything. Neither of them understood actually the heart of the father. That the heart of the father was full of mercy, kindness, compassion and grace and truth. Help us. Help us to come to our senses. Get rid about the lies of the enemy. If you are somebody who went into the world and thinks the world offers you the best, it's a life from the devil. If you are somebody who never left home or church, stayed there, but you are angry and you are miserable and you look at the father like that servant, I know you are a hard-hearted master, you don't give me anything for myself, you are also in the wrong. Both need deliverance. Both need deliverance. And Jesus said, come to me. For I am meek and lowly. Learn of me. Father, we come to you, Lord, today through Jesus. We want to be like him. He is the true son in the likeness of the Father. We want to be like him. And we say, Father, make us like Jesus. Make us like Jesus. You already said, all who are predestined, all who are saved, will be conformed to the image of your son. We think about power, we think about authority, no Lord. Make us meek and lowly. Make us humble. So that we can be taught. And when we are disciplined, we don't rebel. We don't run away. We don't grit our teeth. We don't curse ourselves. We don't curse others. We don't rage in wrath. Instead, we will say, God is good all the time. All His ways are justice and righteousness. My Father is always good. Always good. And everything He does for me is for my good. Help us to see who you are as you really are. Then we will be free. Not to blame anyone to acknowledge our own mistakes before you. And we will be set free. And I pray, Father, during this week, all of us will have the courage and the boldness to come to you. Because you said come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy. We need mercy first. And we cannot just be slipshod about it. We come to you face to face and we acknowledge you what we have done, where we have failed, where we have sinned, where we have transgressed, and call it as it is. We will receive mercy. Get a merciful God. And we will not stop there. We'll receive grace saying, Lord, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be everything that you want me to be. So that we go out and we look a little more like you. So the world looks at us and they will know who our Father is. Then we can truly open our lips and pray. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. That we truly represent in some way or other of who you are. Help us, Lord, to be imitators of God. And not of man and not definitely of the devil, but to be imitators of God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Bless your people. Strengthen your people. Empower your people. Let there be peace in their hearts. Joy in their hearts. Let the peace of God guard their minds and their hearts. And know Lord, the devil will be under our feet. And It will bring you great, great pleasure and joy to see your children walk in victory. Blood-bought, hard-fought victory on the cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you Lord. We are blessed when we go out. And we'll be blessed when we come in. That's your word over us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. 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 God bless you.